Howdy y'all and welcome to Liberty Libations number 33. My name is Jake Green. Thank y'all so much for joining us tonight. I've got Mr. Stephen Hilton and Mr. Zane Placey with me. How are y'all doing? Great. Doing well. well. Yeah. Got to reach behind camera to get my uh, water. Same. <laughs> Living on the edge. All right. The best kind of libation. Hey, if I drink during the show, then there's no way in hell that I'm going to edit clips after the show <laughs> i'm gonna play my switch and i'm gonna go to bed <laughs> that's, that's just kind of how it goes for me so no drinking during the show is is my is you know it's kind of contradictory to the name of the show but it is what it is it's the only way that this show is gonna ever gain traction in the real world all right y'all how are y'all doing i mean it's been, a, it's been a while since uh We've actually had like a good setup and everything under control, and at least on my end, um, I, I tend to be running around quite a bit. So um, sad that Alden is not going to be here tonight. Sad that Nick is not going to be here tonight. Um, Nick has nerd meeting, and uh, Alden is finally allowed or finally uh, made it to Tennessee tonight. Nice. So he he will be uh, he'll be tuning in from Tennessee from here on out. Or logging in from Tennessee. So that's pretty sweet. Um, before we get started, if anybody finds this entertaining, I mean, the beginning has not been entertaining, but if anybody finds the rest of it entertaining, <laughs> make sure you go to lpgeorgia.com. Um, we have a ton of resources uh, to learn about libertarianism, um, liberty, freedom, all sorts of stuff. Uh, we also have here, you know, I can just pull it up um, since most people watch this show. <laughs> Uh, I have so many things pulled up, and the one thing I didn't have pulled up was this. LPGeorgia.com. We have things like Brushfire Speaking Course, where you can learn to be a better public speaker. Um, I think everybody on this podcast needs that dramatically. Um, <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> we also have a range day coming up with Osprey Shooting Solutions. Uh, it will be Saturday, July 29th, um, down in Rome, Georgia. It's uh, hosted by Edgar Mills, who's a friend of the party. It's from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. We did this last year, and I think everybody had a great time. People learned a lot. There were people there who weren't libertarians. They just knew about the event. And I think everybody had a fantastic time. Um, did any of y'all, either of y'all go to that last year? I, I didn't make it last year. Zane? I was, wasn't able to go, uh, was hoping to be able to go this year, but unfortunately, well, I've got uh, my sister's graduation party that day, so don't want to say it's unfortunate that I have to go to that, but it's unfortunate that they're on the same day. Yeah, that is unfortunate. And Robert, um, I'm in Montana, so it's definitely down in Rome. It's not up. Um, thank you. Thank you for the comment, though. I appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Let's see if my it, i think it has i finally was able to get the main topic of the show online it's a very frustrating experience when um here we go let's see hang on y'all okay so main topic of the show tonight was joe rogan spreads misinformation which to be fair we love joe rogan or at least i do um, I oh, like yeah. a, lot of, a lot of the guests that he has on. This isn't really an indictment of him as a whole. It's more of his 
ridiculous stance on economics. So take a listen here and we'll discuss we'll discuss this. Echo. <laughs> that was my dog. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. A trillion. There we go. Yeah. It's a trillion plus. Yeah. It's a lot, dude. It's a lot. And so how much have we spent on Ukraine and how much are we going to spend on Ukraine? But here's the thing. Like, if you forgave that debt, wouldn't that spark the economy? Wouldn't, like, if, if people have more money, the thing about when people have more money, people spend more money. When people spend more money, the, the economy does better. And people are straddled with student loan debt. I got to think that somehow or another cripples the economy. I don't think you're wrong in theory about that. Yeah. I mean, I, it, would, it would seem that, like, you'd obviously have more to do. Yeah. You could do more with your money. And it's not like you're giving people money. You're just absolving them of debt. Okay. So he's taken this stance so many times, and I finally just was like, I got to record it because this is ridiculous. Zane, can you tell the people why that's a ridiculous stance? So when I first saw that this was the headline fact of the show, I thought, what absolutely based thing has he said to Dr. Peter Hotez this time? <laughs> so I thought we were all going to come on here and uh, talk about again how Joe Rogan is so great. But I guess nobody's perfect. No one's perfect. So, he's, he's great in every other way almost, but not this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there, I mean, there is no conceptual difference between giving somebody money and forgiving them a debt. Because if, if I owe Jake $50... Um, and he says that, you know, you don't have to pay me back. That's pretty much the same as him giving me $50 and then me giving it back to him to, to, to pay off the debt. But I owed him the debt and he didn't have to give me the $50 to, to pay it off. So that there really is no conceptual distinction between those two things. And so when we talk about, let's just forgive all this debt, it's just numbers on a piece of paper. Well, somebody... The fact is that somebody had to pay the teachers and you know the, the university where all these people got degrees. And maybe these people were led to believe that the degrees that they were getting were a lot more valuable than they really are. I would say that a lot of people have been told by their guidance counselors that they should go to college when really they should not because that's <laughs> not gonna do anything good for them in the long run. Uh, there are lots of very productive things that you can do without going to college. It's not for everyone. Uh, so I'm not saying that it's these um, people's fault that they find themselves in tens of thousands of dollars in debt. But the fact that they did go to college, that consumed real resources. You know, the, the money it takes to, to pay the teachers, to pay for their room and board. So if they're not paying for it, then somebody else is. Mm -hmm. And just, you know, handing them out, the money to forgive their debt, that's going to make somebody else have to not consume as much. So the idea that we're going to spark the economy by giving these people money, I mean, why not give everybody a million dollars? How about that? <laughs> yeah, then there was absolutely nothing wrong with the $1,200 everybody got during COVID. Like, it's it's absolutely absurd to think that forgiving debt is any different than just giving out money. Like it, it, Tom Segura actually kind of pushes back on Rogan in a little bit of it later on, but they, there's so much bull crap in between that I didn't want to, I didn't want to spend five minutes listening to it. So, well, it's, and it's real easy to advocate, you know, forgiving debt, giving away money, 
all this kind of charity when you're sitting on a hundred million dollar contract. Mm. Uh, you know, it's, it's just real simple to, to say those kind of things. You know, like Tyler Perry, you know, you're in Atlanta. He's he's one of those that's real big on that. You know, well, let's just you know forgive student loan debt and give people a house. Okay, <laughs> Mr. Perry, go ahead and do it, man. Yeah, what's stopping you, you from writing the check? Darn right. Yeah, you know, I mean, why how, do you need how, more than my money for that? You yeah. have plenty. I mean, how many times have people asked Bernie Sanders to sell one of his houses and give the money to the homeless? Like so many times and he won't do it. <laughs> like these people don't actually believe in any of this stuff. Like Rogan's not out there giving away all of his money to forgive student debt. You know, like he we're all going to pay for it in one way, shape or form. And it's going to be through inflation. Um, if if you, it, I think they they counted out that it was like one point. Uh, it was like $1.6 trillion of student loan debt that's public um, and like 10% of the $1.75 trillion is uh, private, privately owned. Um, so the government owns like $1.6 trillion in, in college student loan debt, which is... Yeah. So the exact mechanics of how this would work if you did forgive the debt would be all of a sudden, you know, the government has 1.6 trillion in um, loan repayments that they're counting on. And if all of a sudden they don't get that, now they have to get the 1.6 trillion dollars somewhere else. And it's going to be either from the taxpayer or from the money printer, because they're definitely not going to cut any spending. We know that for sure. So, yeah, I mean, that this goes all the way back to you know, the broken window fallacy um, mm. that was introduced by um, Frederick Bastiat all the way back in the 19th century, where it's sometimes if you if you didn't really think through the economics of what was going on, you might think that if a kid goes and breaks a window, that was somehow good for the economy, because then the shop owner whose window was broken would have to go buy a new window from the glazier and then the glazier would get so much more business and then they would be able to go and buy stuff and it would be great. But what really happened is that you had a window and now you don't. So now you have to buy something <laughs> to, to only to replace what you already had. And well, if, I now, if, I now understand. The, Sorry, go ahead. If, if the window did not have to be replaced instead of having to buy another window, the shop owner could, you know, buy something else. They could yeah. buy, you know, jewelry for their wife. They could buy a new bookshelf. They could go on a trip. And it would be the exact amount of overall stimulation of the economy that would have happened um, before. And I, I know I've been talking a lot, but the, the last thing I'll made main point that I'll make is that, you know, just the, the total amount of consumer spending by itself is not how we should think about an economy that's doing well, like Joe Rogan seems to think. Because what we really need for a, a booming economy is lots of investment in capital goods, like factories and and research. So like you, you could buy a bunch of individual TVs and we could all have lots of TVs now. Or instead of doing that, we could invest money into buy, into building a TV factory. And five years from now, we could have twice as many TVs as we did if we hadn't built built the factory. So judging economic strengths just by consumer spending is really fallacious. I like that a lot. Fallacious sounds like a terrible word. Sounds way. like a, a nice little pastime. <laughs> <laughs> and I think what, like, another thing that Rogan always or never mentions, I mean, he might not even know it, is that... Um, 
like the government started guaranteeing these loans. Like they started guaranteeing what kids would pay for college. And so once that started happening, um, ever since then, the cost of going to college has skyrocketed because the colleges know that the government will back them up no matter what, so they can charge whatever they want. And if a student can't pay it, well, it goes to the government. It doesn't, it doesn't fall back on the, on the university. So that, that's kind of the, I mean, that's the origin of this whole problem that and thinking you need to go to college to make a living. Like it's just, well, hold on. My graduate degree in underwater basket weaving is going to pay off one day. <laughs> you know, it might when uh, there's global warming and the ice caps melt and we're all underwater. It probably will. That's right. That's when you'll need a basket. <laughs> I'll let you boy. Oh, man. The goofiest thing about it, that forgiving student loans is really the government subsidizing its own propaganda machine. <laughs> <laughs> because what happens is, is all these colleges know that they can increase the price of their tuition because all the loans are backed up. So they can go and absolutely balloon the amount of administrators and useless professor professorships that they have. Mm -hmm. So if you go and major in something like political science or one of the various, um, you know, humanities that have just gone completely off the rails, you learn nothing in those classes except various flavors of marxism so for the government to then turn around and be like actually no you don't have to pay for that it's actually genius from the perspective of the government bureaucrats yeah i mean i guess you're right but i don't even think they could understand that complexity <laughs> like there's no way they're that genius they just happened upon this whole thing and they're just trying to uh clean up a mess that was before them what the or did it start playing audio? Man. No. Okay. On my end, all of a sudden, one of the tabs started playing audio. <laughs> <laughs> my bad. Anyway. Um, yeah. Zane, perfect explanations. Exactly what I was thinking. It, I mean, it infuriates me every time he brings up this forgive student loan crap because he is the most watched podcaster in the world. And it just drives me nuts that he won't study economics just study economics man just go read a book like he reads so many books go read a book on economics it's just really not that difficult um yeah anything else on economics this? in one lesson if only somebody can we just repeatedly send that to him like every single day for like three years and see if he'll actually read it <laughs> just some just somebody new send it uh, to his studio or whatever at, which once a day just uh, just piling up economics in one lesson and we'll see if he show uh, show up at the comedy mothership and just drop off one thousand copies of economics <laughs> in one lesson i'm pretty sure the mises institute could set us up you know i'm gonna be there later this year maybe uh maybe that's something we should do <laughs> we should have that set up just drop it off at every single seat and then throw it in the ticket booth you know yeah. all right anybody else uh you have anything else to say on this topic um i know that was our primary topic but um it wasn't well it's just uh you know if you think the uh the tuition and the fees and all that stuff are going through the roof with government subsidies just wait until blackrock starts buying up the dorm rooms because they're already doing it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Expand on that. So BlackRock is going to start buying the dorm rooms. And so they're going to get government subsidies to own student dorms. But then it's going to be privately owned. So then government can't really regulate conditions or rent agreements or anything like that. 
So mm. it's going to get really interesting. Interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. I didn't know this. Brian Allen says Mises University is coming up this month. I had right. no idea. I had no idea that was happening. Is this like what's that? Uh, what's that super based university in South America that uh, Gloria Alvarez went to? Um, I forget what it's called. It's named after it's it's named after a priest, um, and it's kind of just hidden as as a super based like. Econ it's really based on economics and like true sound Austrian economics, and it's it's pretty genius. Uh, let's see. Yeah, what what Mises University is is it's a program for undergraduates put on by the Mises Institute uh, every summer for a week. And had I had I been introduced to Austrian economics a year or two earlier, I very well may have gone to it. But it, it took me until my junior or senior year before I got truly radicalized in this stuff. So <laughs> that's there it. You go. <laughs> there's well, an idea. There's an idea. Um, I had a question and now I can't remember it. Oh, are you you should go teach at the Mises University? No, they have doctorates who teach that. I mean, there there are a lot of scholars that know this backwards and forwards way better than I do. It's just that. As like far as cooler. <laughs> as far as lay people go, uh, I, I guess I'm one of the more knowledgeable ones on economics, but only because I I've listened to lots of episodes of the Bob Murphy Show. Okay, if you can sit through that many episodes, that's impressive in and of itself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding, Bob. All right, let's go on to our next. Next story, which is uh, straight out of Atlanta. This is wonderful. And convenience stores in Metro Atlanta are often easy targets for crime. So to address this issue and to keep a lot of folks safe out there, the Atlanta City Council members, they want to require surveillance cameras at these locations. So the video surveillance ordinance passed by the City Council's Public Safety Committee yesterday, it would require all gas stations and convenience stores, any convenience stores, to install commercial-grade cameras at each of those gas pumps. So before being implemented, it must first gain approval from Georgia's General Assembly. No city or county government can actually pass a regulation like that requiring a company to take on those new costs. City Council member Keisha Waite says that she's not sure if financial aid will be given to those business owners who needed to get those cameras up, but she's hopeful. Uh, the City Council member Waits also says the video surveillance ordinance will be presented to the full council on August 7th if passed, it will move to the General Assembly. So I got a couple of questions here. Who's going to forgive this camera debt? <laughs> uh, and then second off, what is a commercial grade camera? What is a commercial? That's a great question. I have now, no you know, idea. How, how do they define that? Like, is it, you know, thermal scanning? Yeah, does it have uh, facial recognition software in it? Is it just a certain megapixel and range? Like, yeah, that's pretty I don't, vague stuff. It's very vague and it's strange that they're going to require it without providing it. Um, you'd think, because what I when I first heard this, I thought they would provide it because I thought it would be a facial recognition camera because that's what they are tending to put almost everywhere these days. So that, uh, that confused me that they're requiring businesses to do, to have a security camera at every single gas pump because that's where some crime happens. What? Well, in DeKalb County, uh, was it yesterday or earlier this week, there was a guy that got shot to death. Um, 
right there in the middle of the Pump Islands, and they're putting a sheet over the body, loading them up in the in the hearse, and everybody's just going about their business like nothing's wrong. <laughs> Jeez, well, that's it's not a another good day in the Cab County society, right? Yeah, yeah that's not great. Um, there was another video from a few. I, I guess I don't know how long ago it was uh, recorded, but I saw it a few weeks ago of a bunch of people trying to rob somebody at the gas station, and they and then he just takes the nozzle out of the car and starts spraying the seeds with gas, and then they run away. Yeah, yeah, I did see that. They pulled up on him and parked right in front of his his vehicle, and like four of them get out, and he just starts spraying them with the gasoline. Now you got to pull out a torch. Stay closer. Yeah. yeah, I mean it was genius. It was the best. It was the best. Like quick thinking defense i've ever seen like in a, in a compromised setting i've always thought that because like with the tesla you're plugged in for like 45 minutes so you're just sitting in the car waiting for your thing to charge and you have no escape what's it takes like three or four seconds for that thing to actually come out of the tesla and then you have to get back in the car it's not you can't just I mean, I guess you could just speed off in an emergency. No, it won't let you. It won't let you put it in drive and speed off like you can in a in a gas car. So are they going to do this with all the Tesla stops too? With the electric electric car stops? Exactly. Well, and then who's monitoring the cameras? Is this the duty of the gas station or is the city of Atlanta asking to be no, tapped no. into these things? They don't want to prevent it. They just want to be able to catch them afterwards. They want the crime to still take place, but they, they want to be able to catch them. So They'll just go get the feed later on, see who did it, and then then go arrest right, the right. You know, because just having a camera there stops a bunch of people. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, there's there's almost no more crime because of all the cameras that are everywhere. You know, and if it's that rough of an area, someone thinks there's copper inside of it, that thing is gone. <laughs> Would there be copper inside it? Uh, all you got to do is tell somebody. You know, that's how that's how uh, I know around Griffin, you know, in Spalding County, that's how a lot of the red light cameras got taken out. Really? Um, oh, yeah. Copper hey, wire man, in them? yeah. There's a copper wire going all the way up that thing, and they would rip it out once a week. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've got like miles of copper wire in this van. I should probably be careful. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, even, it doesn't even get that much money, but you know, some guys yeah. will do anything for a buck. Yeah. Robert says London is crime free because of all their cameras. <laughs> there you go. Well, and, and apparently, uh, Noonan, Georgia is, uh, has more crime per capita than New York City. What? Yeah, but the key thing here is a lot of these big, you know, metropolitan liberal areas all over the country, you know, New York City, San Francisco, Oakland, California, uh, Seattle, uh, they just let you steal stuff from the store now. Uh, you know, unless you're stealing something up to $1,000, it's a slap on the wrist. It's a citation. Yep. Uh, and, and you, you know, get, also, you get in trouble if you try to stop them. Exactly. You know, because that's why. So there's a lot of store owners like around San Francisco that um, they just had to put everything on the store shelves at at least a thousand dollars price. That's genius. You know, that's so that's, that's one way to cops. Do. Yeah, he stole, you know, he stole a pack of gum. It was a thousand five dollars. I know that uh, RFK was just there campaigning, and he he was just walking around and pointing. That store's closed. That store's closed. That store's closed. That store like. All of these stores were shut down, and they were like big department stores. Is you know, it was like Macy's and stuff like that. Oh, there was like entire blocks on Long Island, uh, yeah. that just no business. Like I mean, they never reopened think, for COVID. 
these cities spent years begging these stores to come into these particular areas and complaining about food deserts and how nobody can buy good food and how it's so racist that none of these stores want to come to these areas. And then these stores finally come and then they're like, oh yeah, people steal all your stuff. We're not going to do anything about it. And then they're leaving and then they're still complaining that they're leaving. So you can't win for losing. That's brutal. Yeah, it makes no sense. Like, in what world can you make stealing nine hundred dollars worth of stuff okay? Right. Like, I, I don't like. I don't understand how that goes through somebody's head. They have to be so indoctrinated into like some type of woke ideology that that is allowable. Like some uh, some type of like racial base for everything. I don't understand it, but it's bizarre. It really is. And, you know, a rooftop Korean is rolling over in his grave right now, I'm sure. Uh, God rest his soul, by the way. Uh, we lost him this week. Mm. Grump, <laughs> Grumpy says the lady at Lowe's in Rincon was fire, fired for stopping a shoplifter. It's absurd. It makes no sense. Like, ugh. what? why even have a security guard? Why have anybody work there? Why not just have the automated teller machines or automated uh, cashier machines and have people just do the honor system. You pay or you don't. It doesn't matter. There you go. Oh, there we go. $900 before we know it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's a, uh, it's a leading indicator that, uh, you know, the dollar is about to be not worth anything. Hannah says they're just trying to feed their families guys. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh. Yeah. Totally. No one would forgive their student loan debt. So we got to give them lumber and groceries. Yeah, all TV. of these families that can be fed with nothing but nail polish and luxury luxury electronics. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, Robert they says have an it's eighteen eggs for buck. Oh man, that reminds me of a sunny clip. I wish I could find it real quick. If you know, if if uh, Zach was actually producing this episode and not off at a Blink One Eighty Two concert. He could find the clip for me because it was pretty hysterical. All right. Speaking of the dollar being worth nothing, um, let's go to this story. The White House has ordered the selected reserve and certain members of the individual ready reserve of the armed forces to active duty. Um, I believe they're being sent overseas as well. Um, so it's not just active duty here in the United States. They're being sent overseas to, um, yeah, in an active duty state, which oh, wow. does not bode well for basically anybody on earth. Um, well, and somebody, some general was just talking this week about going to war with China. What, a general who's in charge of stuff? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, to say that, you know, we'll, we'll be at war with China sometime soon. And it's like, okay, so we're going to fight Russia and China simultaneously. I think people just like are told something and then feel like it's inevitable. And so they're just like, yeah, it's going to happen. So we might as well just go that direction. You know, it's bound to happen eventually. Like, I feel like war with China is completely avoidable. Well, we've, we've been in like, you know, proxy financial type wars with them for at least 20 years. Yeah. Um, I mean, for God's sakes, Mitt Romney was campaigning on this when he was running for president. Yeah. Uh, And this was, this was back before, I guess he still had a little bit of a soul left, you know, when he was just stepping out of Bain Capital. Wait, he had uh, so a soul? He... No one told me that. <laughs> right. Didn't know that. Yeah, but, it, you know, he was still somewhat tied to his Bain Capital role, so he still, you know, cared about the dollar velocity. 
and he that was his big thing was that we were going to be in a financial war with China. And of course, now he's totally changed his tune, which is odd. Um, but like the rare earth minerals, for instance, you know, you talk about TV factories. OK, so TVs, electronics, computers, all those kind of things. Uh, there's I'm, I forget the name of the two elements now. I think it's like gallium and one other cobalt, obviously cobalt, but, you know, lithium for one. You know, China mm -hmm. controls 90 percent of the, the, of the world supply of these things. Oh, yeah. And they've announced they're cutting off our supply. Oh, and so that's fun for us. Yeah, this this hot war with China is basically is because they're flexing on Taiwan. Taiwan is the source of our computer chips until we get our factories online. Um, I don't know if that was just bluster, but that yeah, was one are, of the things that Biden threw some money. Trying, are we trying to do that? Like, are we trying to um, start up chip factories here? Like, is that a thing? Yeah, we're there was to a, do? there was a big one in Arizona, and then there was one other. And these two plants, they were going to take two to three years to build. And then within five years, they were going to have us totally chip independent, kind of. That's how it was sold, anyways. Which you <laughs> is know, this probably true? False. Is this true? What Robert said: China is printing forever stamps and selling them for nine cents each. Because that's pretty hilarious. <laughs> 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 that, that is genius. Let's see. Brian says, if Tom if Tom Cruise in an F sixteen started World War Three, that might be acceptable. Well, you know. There are worse ways to start a war. That'd be pretty, at least an entertaining one. Um, let's see. Grumpy we says, go. we need to get Defend the Guard passed. You're darn right we do. Yeah, um, but uh, Georgia is a little different because we have our own defense force here. Uh, we've got the, a volunteer Georgia defense force that answers directly to the governor. Yeah. That swears their oath to the Georgia Constitution, not the U.S. Constitution. Because, uh, you know, back in the 80s, the GBI actually thought they were a terrorist insurgency um <laughs> they, they were a little concerned with this organization this you know domestic militia being formed at a state level um mm. because really the governor could just say screw you and defend his own borders yeah interesting yeah i don't know man like the the whole idea of entertaining a war with china seems like the stupidest possible thing we could do like what do you think about Trump? I mean, who who all said it so far? Trump, RFK, Vivek, maybe a couple others in the race have said that on day one, within twenty four hours, they will end the war in Ukraine. What do y'all What are y'all thoughts on that? That's one that you know, unlike Afghanistan, where pulling out, leaving a vacuum was a total farce. Let that place implode. I, you know, people that want to come here, come on. Mm -hmm. uh, and just get out uh, unless it really comes out that we're there to defend our bio labs that we took over after the mm -hmm. fall of the Soviet Union. Right. I mean, the, the most interesting thing I think with like ending the, ending the war in Ukraine is I think Dave Smith said it the other day is like the one big bargaining chip that I think Putin would take is that if we withdrew from NATO, I think if we withdrew from NATO, that would have, that might be a bargaining chip for having peace um, between Russia and Ukraine. What do you think about well, that? NATO's existence is an act of war against Russia. Mm. Sorry, Zane, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying if we withdrew from NATO, we might save so much money that we could forgive everybody's student loans. <laughs> <laughs> 
And yeah, okay, Matt, Matt's Matt's right. He didn't say within 24 hours. Uh, Vivek just said he has a plan to end it. Um, but you know, Trump is more brazen. He said he'd end it within 24 hours. <laughs> Let's see. Grumpy says, "Stop sending money and weapons to Ukraine. The world, the world war would end instantly." Yeah, I mean, it it would definitely be a full-on victory for Russia, without a doubt. Um, which you know, what are you gonna do? All right, y'all. Um, do we have anything else? What do we have anything? Actually, we got way off track. We were in, we started talking about us sending troops to Europe. That what? we were perfectly on track. Yeah, what I mean, else I, would this be about if it wasn't about Ukraine? Fair. I mean, we we went through China and all that for quite a while, um, and we never actually talked oh, yeah. about the troops. Like, so are they being stop lost as well, or is this just like the actual active duty people? I don't. They. I don't know, man. You know, and I, I didn't figure out about that concept until that Channing Tatum movie, uh, <laughs> Stop Loss. Uh, that, that was something that apparently happened, you know, during the Bush years. Yeah. That you know, when we went to war with Iraq, there were people that already had their discharge papers that got a phone call and were like, "Hey, yeah, we gave you the discharge papers, but you're being called back." Mm. <laughs> yep. Well, y'all, it's time. Time for some trivia. All right. For anybody who hasn't played, hang on. Let me uh, bring up the slide. Here we go. Add to stream. Libations Trivia, 713-23. Improbable Mission. The JRE and Oppenheimer are the um, categories. Rules, three rounds. Ten questions in the first, five questions in the second, three questions in the third. Every question is a free-for-all. The first contestant to cover their camera with their hand will be called on by Jake Vance. The question is, what about the answer when it's not your turn? You lose a daggone point. Oh, yeah. This is back. Um, if the contestant answers, you cannot get another answer until all contestants answer. You're a bit quiet there, Jake. Yeah, you cut out. Am I, is this better? Hey, there you are. Yeah. Okay. Maybe talking into the mic would help things. Um, <clears throat> all right. There's a uh, brush fryer speaking course for that coming up soon. For talking into the mic? There's <laughs> <laughs> a whole 30 minute thing about talking into the mic. Um, I wasn't here when Zach ran trivia. Who won that night? Should I even ask? Was it Zane? I wasn't here that day. Oh. Okay, well, then it wasn't Zane. I don't know who won. So this is our scoreboard right now. Zane and Nick are tied at three. Steve has one. Audience has one. Alden and Guest have zero. Round one. I misspelled it. Improbably mission. <laughs> <laughs> okay, hang on. Let me. I f always forget to uh, pull up the slides on my end so that I can see the answer. Just give me one quick second here. Almost there. There we go. All right. Let's get this thing underway. Who directed the first Mission Impossible film released in 1996? Steven. Jerry Bruckheimer. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> Zane, you got a guess? 
Go. Michael Bay. <laughs> no, these were good movies. Come on. Give me a break. <laughs> it's Brian De Palma. I have a, I have a feeling that y'all are going to get zero of this first round correct. <laughs> well, I have said multiple times on this show that movies are my weakest category of truth. I know. So. I'm excited. This one's all this first round is all about Mission Impossible since that came out this week and was an awesome movie. All right. Which actor has appeared in all of the Mission Impossible films alongside Tom Cruise? Come on, y'all. You can get this. I have never seen a single Mission Impossible movie. Oh, my gosh, Zane. I've seen them all, but I, I, I don't know this guy's name. Can you describe him? If you describe him, I'll give you the points. Is it the? Is, he's the British dude. It's like the unwitting sidekick that's always saying, you know, this is a bad idea. Um, no. No. Nope. Okay. It is not Simon Pegg. Okay. Ving Rhames. Big jacked black dude. Come on. <sighs> yep. <laughs> Luther Strickle. All right. Next question. What is the name of the secret organization Ethan Hunt works for? Are y'all kidding me? Steven, go. Is it MI5? No. Zane, you're not going to get this. <laughs> the NSA. <laughs> okay, I'll give you a hint. Two thirds of the name is in the title. Zane. MI6. No. Steven, you get one more guess. Two thirds of the name is in the title. I'm really leaning on this hint here. Um, <laughs> you should. It's in the title of the movie, is what I'm, I'm referring to. Well, that's why I said MI6, because Mission Impossible is MI. True. Five, four, three, uh, two, one. Robert got it. Mission Impossible Force. Ooh. Yeah, I forgot to do a daggum scoreboard, too. Here we go. Scoreboard. See, I thought I was fighting for second place now, but uh, the audience is giving me a run here. Yeah, the audience actually might win this one. Um, audience gets one point. Good job, audience. Next question. What is the code name given to Tom Cruise's character, Ethan Hunt? Zane. Tom. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's, it's going to be open to both of y'all again. Um, I'm going to give you a hint. Think military jargon. I'll go Eagle One. Wrong. But close. Zane? Hawk. <laughs> I have literally no idea. No. It is Alpha One. <clears throat> this is some really good content we have right now. Oh, yeah. Hey. It's people like to see people fail, so this is actually pretty good content. <laughs> I've gotten good at that in trivia. Later. Um, which actor played the character of Owen Davian, the main antagonist in Mission Impossible 3? I'll give you a hint this actor died, um, in 2014. Died in 2014. 
too young, I would say. Zane. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Ding, ding, ding. Oh. Yes. <laughs> yes. How about See, I was, that? I was leaning toward Gandalf, but then you said died too young, and I was like, wait a second. <laughs> Hannah says Jack Black. <laughs> That's uh, Jack Black's ugly cousin. Or no, he is Philip Seymour Hoffman's ugly cousin. Because uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman was a good-looking dude. What is the name of the deadly virus that Ethan Hunt must retrieve in Mission Impossible 2? Zane. Monkey pox. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Anna, uh, go, ahead, go ahead, Steve. Uh, Ebola. No. I'm not sure. I don't even know if this is a real, like, real virus. Oh, is it just some alphanumeric crap? No, it's a word. It's a word that you should know. Oh, the audience gets it. Chimera. Ah. Yeah. SARS-CoV-2. Yeah, SARS-CoV-2, <laughs> exactly. Gosh, the audience is crushing it tonight so far, y'all. Which film features the Burj Khalifa, the tallest building in the world at the time? Steven. Mission Impossible 5. Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. You are correct. <clears throat> it's still the tallest building in the world. It's strange that ChatGPT felt the need to clarify that. Nope, I clarified it because uh, who knows when somebody's going to play back this awesome episode. <laughs> <laughs> this is some evergreen stuff we've got here. <laughs> <laughs> who played the character of Ethan Hunt's wife, Julia, in the films? She's a medium-known actress. Um, she would be I, honestly, she'd be hard for almost anybody to get besides somebody who's obsessed with movies. Um, it's she's a toughie. She was in. I'll give you hints. She was in the show True Detective. She played Woody Harrelson's wife. Um, she, <laughs> it is. It is not Sarah Silverman. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right, the uh, audience got it. Michelle Mana. Well, the audience got most of it. It's Michelle Monahan. <laughs> ah, there we go. I was going to say Amy Schumer. That would be a terrible choice. All right, question number nine. Which installment was directed by J.J. Abrams? Zane. Mission Impossible 7. I don't know. Wrong. Steve. It's uh it's the third one, right? The one with Metallica on the soundtrack. You got it. Yes. <laughs> All right. That's so funny that you referenced it based on Metallica. <laughs> right. that, is, that is hilarious. <laughs> I, I learned that from TRL, actually. What is the title of the second film in the franchise released in 2000? Zane. Mission Impossible 2. <laughs> Damn it. Nailed it. You, you got that one right. Good job. All right. After one round, it is audience with three, Zane with two, Steve with two. So it's it's a tight race. Coming for that second place spot. All right, round two, Joe Schmo. These uh these are two points apiece. These are all about the Joe Rogan experience. What is Joe Rogan's full name? 
Zane. Joseph Rogan. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. I, I'm, not, I'm not giving y'all that point. That is absurd. All right. You, what, what is Joe Rogan's middle name? <laughs> Zane. Joseph Fear Factor Rogan. It is completely incorrect. Steven, you got a guess? It's going to be something old school. I mean, this guy's like in his late 50s. So it's going to be like Eugene. Look that shit up, Jamie Rogan. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go with Eugene. How about that? You're all wrong. The audience has five seconds to to say the right answer. Four, three. Joe Ivermectin Rogan. One. (laughs) Oh, they got it right at the buzzer. It is James. Joseph James Rogan. Good job, audience. Oh, shit. Oh, no. That gummit. There we go. Sorry, y'all. That was my bad. Almost knocked my mouse clear off my desk. And I almost did it again. Oh, my gosh. What's in that water bottle? Not water. In (laughs) which year did the Joe Rogan Experience first premiere? Zane. 2014. Wrong. Steven. 2012. Wrong. It's back open to both of y'all. You get one more guess apiece before uh, uh, Zane. 2015. Nope. 2011. Nope. Matt already guessed that. It is wrong. 2009. Wow. He's been at it for 14 years. This is year number 15. How crazy is that? I mean, he just did episode number 2000. Robert got it right after the buzzer. Sorry, Robert. Doesn't count. Slide number third, or no. Uh, question number three. How many total hours of the podcast have been aired? Hang on, hang on, hang on. You both get to guess a number, and the closest one wins. Anybody in the audience, um, go ahead and put your numbers in. Steven, what's your number? I'm going to go with 4,500. Okay, Zane. I'll say 6,000. Okay. Let's see if uh, I'm going to wait about 10 seconds for any guesses from the audience. Hannah says 7832. Matt says 8112. Robert says 6250. <laughs> Brian Allen says Tom Woods has 2,364 <laughs> episodes. Rogan is weak. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Zane gets it correct. 5,833 hours. <laughs> you gave me a huge hint by telling me that there are 2,000 episodes because I just thought that the average was probably about three hours. So You're not wrong. You're not wrong. But, uh, yeah, that was a good way to do it. I mean, Steven's not that bright, so he didn't understand that. <laughs> that well, I, I did 2,000. I was thinking two hours, a little over two hours each. Yeah, so, I mean there there are some that are an hour for sure, and there yeah, are some, there, there were some that he was like, not getting along with the guy that he cut off at like an hour. Yeah, so yeah, you're not wrong. All <laughs> right, who was the guest on the longest episode to date? And I misspelled it on the slide, Stephen. Alex Jones. No, but he is up there. He's like top five for sure. Zane. Ah, uh, shoot. I'm trying to come up with, like, 
actually come up with a good guess, but I'm probably going to run out of time. Because um, I'm saying maybe it was one of, like, the um, Francis Malone. No. Oh, you Robert each... Malone. That's what I yeah, meant. Yeah, I, I know who you meant. You each get... Oh, Robert got it. Duncan Trussell. And I said Duncan Russell, but whatever. That was auto, <laughs> that was autocorrect. <laughs> um, yeah, Duncan Trussell. It was like five hours and 14 minutes. Um, and I think they were high and drunk and stoned. And what all the words that you could use to describe someone who's intoxicated and inebriated. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's had some good ones with uh, Brian Redband, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the ones with Duncan Trussell, though, because they tend to dress up in ridiculous costumes. <laughs> he comes on as like an astronaut sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Who has appeared the most times on the JRE minus fight companions? Steven. Jamie. Okay. That doesn't count. No. <laughs> I'm not even counting that as your guess. You can have another guess. Okay. Uh, Zane. My- <laughs> uh, Jordan Peterson. No. I'll give you a hint now that both of y'all have answered. He's a fellow comedian. Zane. Dave Smith. No, no. This guy has appeared on the show 62 times. What? That's crazy. Yeah. 62 Joey Diaz? No, but that's a good guess. You got 10 seconds. The silence is palpable. It's not Burnt Chrysler, is it? <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> it's Mr. Ari Shafir. Oh. Yeah. Because he's on, you know, he does a ton of solo ones. He was Rogan's buddy back in the day, so he was always on in the original ones. And then he does the Protect Our Parks ones, which are hysterical. Have you ever listened to those? No. Those are some yeah. of my favorite ones. Like, if I just want to laugh for three straight hours, I'll go listen to a Protect Our Parks <laughs> episode. <laughs> All right. After two rounds, audience has five. Zane has four. Steve has two. Steve, yes. you got nothing that time. Round three, Oppenheimer. It's not about the movie. It's only about the man. Which scientific institution did he direct during the development of the atomic bomb? Zane. So, are, I guess, are you counting the Manhattan Project as an institution? or No. Nope. It's an institution. Steven. OSI. No. Damn. Zane. Is it like just Los Alamos Research Laboratory? Yeah. No. <laughs> You're darn right it is. Bravo. Let me put in your points here. Zane just took the lead, audience. Y'all got to get it together. Take that, audience. (laughs) (laughs) Which city was chosen as the site for the first controlled nuclear chain reaction led by Oppenheimer? Zane. Chicago. That is unbelievable. How did you know that? Uh, The Chicago Pile Experiment. Wow. Sure. Yeah. That, that one, the one that everybody it knows. Like, it was like in the basement of the university of Chicago somewhere. Yeah. It's not Don't dangerous at all. <laughs> Final question. 
this could put Steven tied with the audience, or it could just, uh, you know, make Zayn the ultimate champion forever. In what year was he stripped of his security clearances due to concerns about his political associations? Zane. I'll say 1946. Wrong. Steven. Hmm. Yeah. Way to take your time. 44. No. Zane. 47. <laughs> Steven. 52. No, you each get one more guess. That's it. Zane. 45. No, Steven. 43. <laughs> you guys are killing me. 1954. I was never going to say that. Well, so it was during McCarthyism? It was during McCarthyism. All right. The final tally is Zane 10, audience 5, Steve with a whopping 2. Two from the first round of random guesses that he just happened to know from movies. <laughs> I guess he knows movies probably better than Zane does. I, I knew it as it pertained to Metallica. That was that was that was half of my right answers. Perfect. <laughs> all right, y'all. Well, thank y'all for playing. Um, thank y'all, everybody in the audience, for uh, chiming in with your answers. That was great. Y'all did a good job. Um, and yes, Robert, you let everyone down. Um, you just weren't quick enough. Yeah, I know there's a 20-second delay. That's what makes it more interesting. There's like 10 of y'all and, you know, only one of each of these guys. So y'all get brain power of 10 people. And Google, you, and I'm on a two-beer delay. You get a 15, 10 to 15-second delay. It's not 20 seconds, Robert. I know it's not 20 seconds because y'all's messages appear about 10 seconds afterwards. Oh, Robert apparently owes everybody um, one Bitcoin. Um, that's a high price to pay. Who's going to forgive all this trivia debt, guys? I mean, uh, you can't just expect them to pay it off. All right. Let's see what our favorite rep has to say. Let me pull him up. And that was not facetious. He actually is our favorite rep. Mr. Thomas Massey. In my remaining minute, I, I want to turn to another issue. Uh, George Hill, former FBI supervisory intelligence analyst in the Boston field office, told us that the Bank of America, uh, with no legal process, was uh, gave to the FBI gun purchase records uh, with, with no geographical boundaries for anybody that was a Bank of America customer. Is that true? Well... What I do know is that the uh, number of business community partners all the time, uh, including financial institutions, share information with us about possible criminal activity. And my understanding is that that's fully lawful. In the did specific, you, did you in ask the specific for that information? Instance, in the specific instance that you're asking about, my understanding is that that information was shared with field offices for information only, but then recalled to avoid even the appearance uh, of any kind of overreach. My understanding is that that's a fully lawful process. Was there a warrant involved? Again, my understanding is that the institution in question shared information with us, as happens all the time. Did you request the information? I can't speak to this specific. Okay, well, we've got an email where it says the FBI <laughs> did give the search queries to Bank of America, and Bank of America responded to 
to the FBI and gave over this information without a search warrant. We believe there's any limitation on your ability to obtain gun purchase data or purchase information for people that or people who aren't suspects from banks without a warrant. Well, now you're now you're asking a legal question, which I would prefer to defer to the lawyers. Uh, since I'm not practicing as one right now, including the department. But what I will tell you is that my understanding is that <laughs> information from business community partners across a wide variety of industries, including financial institutions, sharing information with us about possible criminal activity is something that is fully lawful uh, under current uh, federal law. Maybe law. Okay, so this was yesterday. Um, the FBI basically admitting to taking bank records from Bank of America, um, the Bank of America just giving them to them, just massively wide range of bank records of anybody who's purchased a firearm using Bank of America credit cards, debit cards, checks, that kind of thing. Well, you see, uh, any purchase of a firearm is possible criminal activity, so... Yeah, I mean, that is a really good point, Zane. If you're purchasing a firearm, you are potentially a criminal. <laughs> so they have every right to uh, to send that information along to the FBI. I mean, that's... Bank of America should take a really big hit for this. I don't know if they will, but if you're doing business with Bank of America, maybe uh, it's time to rethink that. Also, just the fact that they were there when the Federal Reserve was born um, should also tell you something. Um, well, and during the Obama years, you had the executive laughing about how they're going to make up all their losses from the economic downturn through all the fees they're going to hit their customers with. Yep. Uh, I mean, they just got fined for that. They just got fined for uh, for uh, opening accounts without customers' knowledge for double charging cargo switch uh, trick. Yeah, for uh, double yeah. doubling uh, fees um, and all. Uh, there's one other thing, but I can't remember what. Um, and yeah, you're right. Wells Fargo isn't much better. Thank God we don't have to choose from those two. <laughs> Thank God there's a ton of other things, you know, like the bank of Bitcoin where you could go be your own bank. Um, I don't know. What are your what are your thoughts on the fact that the FBI and Bank of America just basically are working together to potentially prevent a possible crime, maybe sometime in the future of the millions of people who buy weapons? <laughs> well, uh, you know, since we just got off of uh, a topic of like Tom Cruise movies, you know, we could go to. Uh, was it Minority Report where they had the the future detectors? Yep. Yes, it was. Uh, so it's you know the pre crime division, mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. So that's that's really what it's kind of moving towards. And then to kind of build on the previous episode we did about Edward Snowden, we know the telecom industry has been over uh, collaborating with law enforcement. Uh, so AT and T, you know Verizon with their super cookies, uh, you know your your Amazon Echo device, your Ring doorbell camera. All these guys got to do is show a badge and they give way more than they should even be allowed to really. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's information that's technically not theirs. You know, it, it happens to be on their servers, but it's your information and right. they just overly share it just because a nice man with a badge asked me. Uh, and, uh, you know, once you get into the, the institutional level, you know, you mentioned somebody like Bank of America, they were there at the inception of the Federal Reserve Bank. So, 
they've got skeletons in their closet, man. I mean, like they've been around for any institution of that size. It's been around for over a hundred years. You've got some dirty secrets and all the government has to do is say, Hey, remember that time you did this? You know, we could, we could leak that or you could just tell me who bought a firearm with your account. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's very similar to, to what they did with Facebook or Twitter. Um, and maybe face, no, I guess it was Facebook and Twitter maybe during the election was just like, tell them things were about to happen and make sure it doesn't come out on the, on the social media network. And, you know, they did that with the Hunter Biden laptop story and a whole bunch of other things. Um, and they'll do it, you know, they'll just do the bidding of the federal government, um, because they need the help of the federal government to keep growing and keep, you know, getting money. It's a mafia shakedown. You know, the, if your options are do what the government tells you to or risk having the government come after you and try and destroy your business if you're Facebook or Twitter or, you know, not bail you out the next time you get uh, in a pickle, if you're a bank, then the government's got you right in their pocket. But going back to the clip, you know, one of the foundational assumptions of democracy even is that the people that you have in charge of the these various organizations are accountable to you and have to answer the questions that your representatives put to them. But everybody knows that it's a complete farce when these FBI and CIA people go before Congress because they'll go there for two hours and everybody knows they're not going to say anything and they never say anything. And then people pretend, oh, that we live in a democracy because they're accountable to the people. How does that clip look like accountability to you? <laughs> to my understanding, it, it doesn't seem like it. No. <laughs> How many times can one person say to my understanding while he's appearing before Congress? Like just that, that phrase is idiotic. Like they're just qualifying every single thing they say. And all you have to do is keep somebody in the dark about stuff, about certain things and have them go appear before Congress. Like you could, you could have a whole mess of people who don't know the specifics of anything that's happening within an organization. And they could be the people who are in the highest positions that then go testify before Congress and legitimately can't say anything because they don't know anything, but they know that they're there to prevent bad things from happening to their organization. <laughs> this might be a bit of a hot take, but I feel like Congress should have the, the power to compel executive agencies to give them straight answers to questions. And I'm not sure how in practice that would work. Torture. Because you have a judge issue a warrant. I mean, that's right. The three co-equal branches. I mean, there, there would have to be some kind of, you know, there'd be a judge on your side saying, yeah, that's, that makes sense. Hmm. Yeah. Cause otherwise you're never going to get one because they'll never cough it up. Yeah. Oh, well, and, and, you know, the president can be arrested. Uh, the Senate sergeant in arms can arrest him. Because uh, I, I know because, you know, Sean Hannity ranted on about it for about three years while Obama was in office. There were so many books written about it, you know, of all these, uh, you know, impeachable offenses and this, that, and the other. Mm. Um, but, you know, the most slam dunk one was Obama serving on the UN Security Council without Congress's approval. So um, it's pretty clear in the Constitution you can't hold two offices at the same time. Um, you know, without congressional approval, you know, anyways, like it's, really uh, I'm, with, I'm with you, you know, Congress should have the power to compel because otherwise you get these athletes like 
uh, you know, were you using steroids? And he's like, of course I was. Why am I here? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I feel like a really good way to torture somebody into doing it would just be to, like, put them in a room by themselves with William Hung and have him sing for them for, for like, hours. <laughs> I think that would do it. Like, uh, that would drive me insane. Or just have somebody in there just eating chips without closing their mouth for, for like two straight hours. I think the word for that is sonic interrogation. I'm a fan. I like this. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't seem to like inflict actual pain. <laughs> I, you could get me to confess to a whole bunch of stuff that I didn't do just by eating cereal in front of me. It is my least favorite sound on earth. My brother's watching right now. And he knows it. And he eats like a sloppy dog when he eats cereal. It's just like. <laughs> it is terrible. <laughs> um, all right, y'all. Next, next topic, unless we want to talk about this some more. Let's talk about how terrible Bank of America is. We could just talk about that for the rest of the time. Um, but I, I'm kind of with Zane, though. Like, it's just it's 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 nauseating to see. So many people being brought up with, you know, with credible issues, just credible evidence against them. And they get to just because they're in front of Congress, they're like, got no authority here. What are you going to do? You know, especially when it's somebody from the executive side of things like I'm, I'm yeah. the one that enforces this stuff. What do you what do you want to know? You know, yeah, I'm going to investigate myself and find nothing wrong. Screw yeah. off. I mean, the same thing happened with Ron Paul and Fauci or uh, Rand Paul and Fauci, like he would just interrogate him. Fauci would give a whole bunch of non-answers and then he would get off because he's not accountable to anybody. It, it right. doesn't make well, any and then, sense. Like the, you know, the, the cash for clunkers thing, you know, people that weren't actually destroying the cars that they should have been destroying, you know, and I think, I think uh, who's the guy from California, Daryl Issa, you know, he was, he was the big stud, you know, pre Jim Jordan, and, uh, you know, he was just grilling folks. And that, that was one thing. That I, so many people were sending me clips of that in my email. Oh, listen to listen to Daryl Issa grill this guy. I'm like, okay, great. You know, like he scored some some logic points, but nothing's going to happen. Yep. It's just, it's wild seeing this kind of stuff. Yeah, and, I, uh, you I, know, I, especially I, when you get into financial crimes, like what Bank of America is doing. Mm. Um, I, I mean, I remember Barney Frank. Y'all remember Barney Frank when he retired? Mm. That. So he was he was doing the Dodd Frank bill. He was trying to shove that thing through, and it was a pile of crap, and everybody knew it. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, he was like, "Hey, you remember those parties? You know, with those underage boys at my house? Y'all were there too. I'll name names. Pass this bill and let me retire." And they were like, "Oh yeah, pass the bill. Let him retire." Oh, this is what? why if you're. If you're going to have a government, it's important that people of character are the ones in there. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's also important have... that it's not a giant government with thousands of employees. Thousands? I'd gladly take thousands. <laughs> are there not thousands? It, there are millions. I'm talking about the people who can make decisions for us. There's millions of people with access to classified information. That's not that's not the same thing. Access to classified information doesn't mean jack. No, if I call a few people, I, I don't I don't necessarily think that's true. Just because you have access to information, like if you're the janitor of a of like Enron, you don't you have access to certain information, but you can't make anything happen. 
you know, I, I don't know. Just because you have access to something doesn't mean you're like necessarily have the power to to tell people what to do or to you know do things. But well, so I mean, the last time I checked the stat, it was like two or three million government employees. But if you're talking about who are the actual like Congress people, I actually think it would probably be better to drastically increase the size of Congress because it, right now each person in the House of Representatives represents somewhere in the ballpark of 800,000 people. In no way can you really say that they're accountable to anyone if you're accountable to that many people. Like the original regime, back in, like, right when the U.S. was founded in, like, the 1790s, each representative um, represented only 30,000 people. And for the first century or so, of the U.S.'s existence, they would steadily add representatives as the population increased, but we haven't added any more for a long time, and so the uh, mm. amount of of people per representative has just ballooned, which has made it a lot easier for people to just kind of, you know, be, it uh, has made it a lot easier for congressmen to ignore them. Because like if if you if you are only representing thirty thousand people, you can get a sizable amount of those people together and try to pressure your congressperson to do something. Yeah, that's Yeah, fair. Ryan's right. Like in New, in New Hampshire, the New Hampshire House of Representatives, so New Hampshire has like 1.3 million people in it. Their House of Representatives has 400 people in it. That's nice. a ratio of one representative for every like 4,000 people. That's, that's not the bad. real representative. That's, talk about reaching out and touching someone. I mean, that's... That's better. That's yeah. much, much better. That's a little bit of control. So, so how do you feel about um, you know senators being appointed by the governor rather than elected by the citizens? Uh, so, you know, before the, I think it was the um, 17th Amendment that brought in direct election of senators where it had been like the state um, House and Senate that had elected them. Uh, I think that the old way was, was really um, better. Because first of all, it gave the states themselves a direct interest in the federal government. So if you have a if you have an entire house of the federal government whose entire job is to jealously guard uh, the powers that the states believe that they have, that's you know putting two states against each other, which can make the which can be advantageous for individual liberty, if as opposed to only having one ginormous government that's essentially accountable to nobody because you can't be accountable to 5 million voters all at the same time. And it also makes it a lot easier, you know, for, for the small interest to just um, come in and influence a Senator because these lobbyists can come in if they only have one Senator to deal with, who is not going to be talking to all 5 million of their constituents. They can be very easy to sway. Whereas if the Senator is instead elected by the state house or senate who presumably knows who they would be electing a lot better and have all these people have personal relationships to the people that they're electing they would be a lot harder to sway by a few big donors or lobbyists hmm. exactly yeah you know and just look look here in georgia you got uh the oshat you know john ossoff um i mean there's there's no way he's accountable like he, the same thing with david purdue i mean does he even live here Holy crap! Like, you know, his relatives couldn't even find him come election time. So, it, it just it would just it's crazy to think how many people they actually allegedly represent 
Mm. There's no way that you can most popularly represent all those opinions at the same time. Right. Yeah, that is interesting. Let's see. Tim says we have government of all levels that give no shits about most of their constituents. <laughs> well, you're, you're not wrong about that. <laughs> yeah. Although again, at the local and kind of state level, depending on the situation, but especially the local level, I don't think I don't take it as a given that literally every single person in government is evil. I think that a lot of yeah. them are, but I don't, I think that it is logically consistent for somebody to get involved in government with good intentions and especially at the local level, I feel like they can make decisions that are good. They can, um, right, for sure. Right. And, but the, the, the farther up the ladder you are, the more insulated you are from anybody, and the fewer people you have opposing you, mm. the more likely it is that you're going to turn evil. Yeah. There you go. Well, yeah, who was it that said that um, we have the stupid party and the evil party, and every now and then they get together and they pass something that's both stupid and evil? <laughs> and we call that a bipartisan effort. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just I feel like a lot of people who get into government work are, just end up being like useful idiots, like just oblivious to what they're actually passing, oblivious to what their constituents actually want. Um, they think they want something because they're thinking a certain way, but they don't actually go do the research or go talk to their constituents. And so they're either willingly ignorant or just you know, useful idiots. And on some levels, it's because they actually desire power. Some levels. Yeah. You know, here on Atlanta, uh, I mean, it's, what is it? The, was it the mayor of South Fulton or was it just one of the council members just got arrested on trespassing charges? Trespassing. Uh, yeah. It was like uh, robbery and trespassing charges or something like that. And it was just one of those power trip kind of things. Like you can't tell me no. I run this city, you know, <laughs> I'm going to come in here and take this. It oh, was the Brian, mayor. There you go. Brian Brian. Says it was the mayor. That is yeah. hilarious. And, and, and most places, that's the whole thing. You know, the mayor is just a figurehead for some of these places, you know, unless you're like the mayor of a major city, you know, mm -hmm. like Atlanta, New York, something like that. You really don't matter. You're just the tie breaking vote for the city council. Right. There are some powers that the mayor does have. I mean, Shane utilizes that with his um, Ted Gummit. What's that? Helios initiative. Helios initiative. Yeah, he utilizes a bunch of mayoral like things that the mayor can do. Um, so he's not completely just a figurehead, but I, I see your point. Like he's definitely there just to break ties. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously in times of emergency or you know extra powers or you know circumstantial things. Uh, but you know, day-to-day -day operations, he, he needs the approval of city council and various other departments to even yeah. leave the office. Yeah, and I think it's important to remember that we keep saying he because only men can be mayors. Absolutely, uh, that that was established long, long ago, back in 1776. Um, yes, that's why America became great. You know, <laughs> we, we have to make it great again. Yes, you have to be a man. You have to own property. You have to be literate. <laughs> exactly. All, all three of those things are crucial to yeah. the future of America. All right. We're going to go to one of my favorite Twitter personalities, Mr. Peter St. Ange. Recently, Deutsche Bank released a new survey of professional investors saying that the vast majority expect interest rate hikes to cause more financial, quote, 
accidents, by which they mean financial markets crashing. Nearly all respondents expected more of these, with most thinking the accidents will be contained, in other words, bailed out, while one in five expect financial accidents that governments will fail to contain. Now, I'm not sure governments using endless stimulus and permanent bailouts to make banks and markets fragile and then going on to break them qualifies as accidents, but whatever they are, professional investors are expecting more of them. In fact, we've already seen storms in multiple countries around the world. The UK pound hit near third world levels of interest on government bonds last year, almost putting the pound below parity with the dollar and threatening to bankrupt some of Britain's largest pension funds. Meanwhile, the Japanese yen has plunged almost 30% in the past 18 months, forcing the central bank to buy up a majority of Japan's $10 trillion in government debt. Keep in mind, Japan's economy is about five times smaller than the U.S., so that's equivalent to over $50 trillion in federal debt in American terms, with most of that bought up by the central bank. Meanwhile, China is swimming in similar debt levels to Japan, raising fears of a Japan-style long depression, even in China. All right, so the main thing I wanted to point out in that is that they're calling them economic accidents. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, economic accidents. Yeah, like it's not, especially, you know, China, a command and control economy. Uh, Japan, uh, they've pretty much been admitting that too. They are a command and control economy. Uh, you know, they're capitalistic-ish, Yeah, uh, but they're, they're still command and control. Um, I mean, I mean yeah. so are we, but, you know. We get I, I shoot just, fireworks one day a year. Fair. I mean, I I do love that that just printing endless money is is called an economic accident. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, oh dang it, the printing press is still going. Dad gummit, stop! Like, what? Like, how is that qualified as an accident? Who is buying this jargon? This is like this is how people redefine language. They'll they'll just say something is something new, and people will just be like, okay, well, I guess that's how it is now. Um, and it's just a bunch of crock. Like it is no accident that they're, that they printed the most amount of money ever printed in 2020 at what was it? Like 40% of all dollars on earth were printed during 2020. Was that the uh, two thirds of what's in circulation right now was printed in the last 18 months. Oh my gosh. Like, and they keep going. They're still printing money and they're never, I mean, they're just, they can't stop. I mean, they're never going to stop, but they couldn't stop even if they wanted to. Can't stop, won't stop. Can't stop, won't stop. Zane. There you go. Um, Rothschilds to the top. Yeah. It's just utterly painful that, uh, that they're trying to make this out to be something that we could have prevented. Um, well, we could have prevented it. In 1912, we could have prevented. Well, if we would have just obeyed harder, obeyed harder, <laughs> all of this would not be happening right now. Yeah, if everybody just had stayed in their houses, more. right, right. Yeah, it would be cool if everybody in the U.S. had a million dollars, Hannah. But um, it's the same as clear. no one having a million dollars. Well, no, it's actually say? not quite the same because. It would it would essentially make all but the very richest people have the same level of wealth. So it would be good for well, the the ensuing economic chaos would be bad for everybody. But if you somehow manage to avoid that, it would be relatively better for poor people and relatively worse for like upper middle class people. 
because all of them would pretty much be equalized by their new $1 million. And the only people that would have substantially more than that would be, you know, the, the millionaires and billionaires. Right. There you go. Well, and, and once you do get to, to a certain level of wealth, there's not really a lot of disparity in what you can do because so being a hundred millionaire and being a billionaire, you know, the only thing a billionaire can do that a hundred millionaire can't what own a sports team. There you go. That's it. I mean, other than that, you got all the leverage you need. Yeah. You know, that's at, at that point you get, you get the unlimited black card. Uh, you, you get the, you know, the bottomless loans, whatever, because you've got, you've got enough collateral to put up to start the loan to say that you're good for that. So it's, it's. And by Twitter. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And by Twitter. <laughs> yeah. You're definitely right that, you know, the, the amount of consumers goods that hundred millionaires buy compared to billionaires is very similar. And this sometimes leads people to believe, well, let's just tax the billionaires more because they don't need the money anyway. But that mm. fails to take into consideration the form of the money that the billionaires and hundred millionaires have because it's rarely their, income. Yeah. So most of their wealth is tied up in the value of their company, which is worth that much because it's providing valuable goods and services to people. And they're keeping it invested in something that's making everybody else wealthier. Like the fact that Jeff Bezos is a billionaire is because Amazon is worth that much money because everybody benefits from having stuff shipped to their house in eight hours for free. And so Jeff, Jeff Bezos having a billionaire is helping you. It's not hurting you in any way, uh, ex right. except when he uses his wealth to influence the government in ways that we don't like, then it's a problem. But yeah, there you go. Aside, or, or when his distribution center raises property taxes in the area that I live. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's fair too. That's fair too. Um, we've got uh, our favorite forum, the World Economic one, um, here up next. And the one final note I will uh, make is that if you think about the benefits of digital money, there are huge potential gains. It's not just about uh, digital forms of physical currency, you can have programmability, you know, um, units of central bank currency with expiry dates. You could have, as I argue in my book, a potentially better and yeah, some people might see it or a darker world where the government decides that units of central bank money can be used to purchase some things, but not other things that it deems less desirable, like, say, ammunition or drugs or pornography or something of the sort. And that is very powerful in terms of the use of a CBDC. And the one final. So I know that was a little while ago, but. Um... CBDCs. So getting into that, I've got to mention this because I, I, I saw this article today. Sweet. Uh, so, uh, you know, we love crypto. We respect it. We, mm -hmm. we understand, you know, blockchain is going to be fundamental for survival and commerce in the future. Um, Ripple, XRP, yep. is not friggin' crypto, okay? <laughs> like, there's tens of trillions of this crap already printed. Now, just because the guy put some up in escrow doesn't make it scarce. No, not it's at all. It's there. He it's owns all there. of it. Yes. Yeah. So there was a federal judge that just ruled this week that it's not necessarily a security. 
So because yeah. that, that was the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So they, they went and sued the SEC because the SEC was like, yo, you can't trade. You're a security. You didn't register with us as a security. And you're definitely not a currency. And they're like, yeah, we're not either of those. And so at that point, what are you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's so many people were like celebrating that XRP like won this whole thing. And like, oh, I made money. Don't get me wrong. Well, uh, <laughs> fair enough. You know, but from an from a from an ideological perspective, like that's not all that is. Is like so now it's been ruled it's not money, it's not a security. So it's well documented, proven in court. They've argued it. They argued it. This was their stance that they're ripping you off. Yeah, fifty-two billion in circulation, hundred billion total. There you go. Yep. That. I mean, it, it's it's absurd. Like the 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 whole idea behind CBDCs, it they're not. The thing that separates Bitcoin is that it doesn't have anybody in charge of it, and the thing that makes Ethereum and every single other crypto so dangerous is that it is at the whims of human beings, and so they're going to implement those same protocols into a CBDC, except make them far more strict and overwhelming um to the point where they're literally gonna be able to determine everything every single thing that you do with your money what you're allowed to do what you're not allowed to do and they're literally saying it in front of everybody's faces mm-hmm. like it's, it's not even hidden but no one i don't know i don't know why people think that they're that this is like a conspiracy theory or that some like that we're crazy for thinking this because there are so many people that just write this off and we'll just be like, well, that's never going to happen because they just like, they have our best interest at heart. And they're like, it's just how it's going to be in the future. Like, it's just, it's just going to be a digital dollar. Um, I, I don't, there's something really evil in the implementation of a C- CBDC and it's going to be, it, have you noticed that people have stopped talking about it for like the past two months? Yeah. Um, Cause it was a massive deal for about a month and a half. And then it just disappeared. Right. About well, the same time had, the Nord Stream pipeline exploded. Absolutely. Because you had you know you had your Alex Joneses and your and your Blaze TVs and you know all all your conservative outlets shining the light on this stuff. You know, Klaus Schwab's trying to you know trying to feed us bugs and give us fake money. And yes, he is doing those things, but it's for some reason when when like the Fox News types lean into some things like that, they do it so hard, so fast. It just sucks the oxygen out of the room. And like, even though it's really an issue, it makes people stop caring about that crap after like two weeks. Mm. And then they get to do it anyways. Yeah. No, you're just exactly so right. tired of it. And Brian, the day that you're in office is the day that I'll believe that. Okay. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> um, yeah. It, it's, it's just going to be a nightmare. And like, it's astounding to me that they can just be saying these things wide open in public and people will applaud them and listen to them and be like, yeah, this sounds like a good idea. Like we should totally do this. We should like everybody get on board. Here we go. Or yeah, exactly. Or distract with aliens. Yeah. They do a whole bunch of crap to distract us from, from things like this. Cause no one's bringing this up because this world economic forum happened months ago. Um, and this was just a clip that I found the other day yeah. and I hadn't seen it before. But it's just he's not the only one that has said that at the World Economic Forum or elsewhere, for that matter. Like there well, are and, and consortiums of this type have been meeting 
since the early 70s. That's a good the day that <laughs> the day that Brian's in office is the day that pigs fly and cats and dogs live together in peace. <laughs> there we go. So we got we got Brian and Zane here. So when was the Logan Act passed? Uh jeez. I feel like that was like just get the decade you know, right. The, I, I don't need the exact year. This isn't trivia. I feel like it's really old, like yeah. 1790s or something. Okay. Good deal. So yeah, you got the Trilateral Commission that was formed in the early 70s. Uh, you know, Jimmy Carter is credited with that, but it was really Walter Mondale. Uh, and, and you got, you know, David Rockefeller is a big Brzezinski. You know, these guys spawned this thing. And Barry Goldwater was really sounding the alarm on that before they even pulled the trigger on it. Mm. And no one did anything about that. And then you got the Bilderbergs, 1799. Thank you, Hannah. And, there you, go. And you got the Bilderbergs, and then that – it's just it's they put it in your face enough like i just talked about it just it it just makes you not care about it cuz you're just like god shut up and go away i don't care yep and then they just get to keep you know clawing their way up the hill this is yeah and this relates back to everything man like the deluge i i don't know if i've said this on this podcast i probably have i mean i i certainly have i've you know this is what like our 80th hour of of podcasting um i consider the internet as like the new age tower of babel where back when the tower of babel happened all of a sudden everybody spoke different languages and couldn't communicate with each other well this is almost the exact same thing where everybody can communicate with each other but there's so much information out there that there you have no idea what to believe and you're just deluged with information and there's no truth anymore and so people getting repeatedly pounded with different bits of information, like the same bit of information. People want to completely ignore it after, after a while. This is what, we talked about the same thing with like Edward Snowden revealing all those documents and like how it was a huge deal when that happened. But ever since then, when somebody has whistle blown and revealed documents, it's been like, okay, whatever. Like, yeah, we know the government's doing this. And so like the more people are exposed to something, the less they care about it, which is, the opposite of what it should freaking be, man. Yeah. It's infuriating. People, yeah, it's that it's the whole uh, concept that, that Stalin brought to light was, you know, one death, a single death is a tragedy. A mm. hundred thousand deaths is a statistic. Yep. You know, because you just yeah. can't fathom something that grand has been allowed to fester that long. Yep. Yeah, I mean... You're right, Tim. We were screwed since I met on Jekyll Island. We were also screwed before that. So yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> we, were, we were screwed when the Anti-Federalists lost. Um, well, yeah. all right. I think that you're. I think that we're going too far here. We're screwed, <laughs> Zane. It's all over. Pack your bags. <laughs> so if we're if we're really saying that we were just completely screwed since 1913, and I'm not going to debate that because obviously that was really bad. And, you know, going back, but I mean, the U.S. in general, and especially over the past, you know, 100 years, I mean, it's just prosperity that would have been un completely unimaginable to the vast majority of humans that have ever lived. So before we get too blackpilled, government can get really big and really bad and human society as a whole can still do well and even flourish under those conditions. But yes, people are very hard to convince, even when, you know, we want to 
say, why aren't you listening to us? We're so clearly right. <laughs> and that's kind of why I am interested in these projects, like the Free State Project, Free Cities, things that don't depend on convincing everybody to suddenly become libertarian because that's not going to happen. Mm. All we need is to have a society where libertarians can be libertarians and everybody else can live the way that they're going to live. And if people get inspired by our, our example, that's probably the best way to convince them. But as far as I'm concerned, I'm not really concerned so much about does everybody else have freedom because that's way too big vers- well, he just cut out mid oh, no. i care losing? about okay oh. i'm i'm concerned about how can i and the people that i care about live the lives that we want to live and hopefully that example would inspire other people to also desire freedom dude this is exactly what i've been trying to to describe to my friends who are not libertarians because as an anarchist or an ANCAP or whatever, um, I know that the world is never going to be an anarchist world, but I want the ability to go start my own anarchist community um, that has nothing to do with the rest of the world. That has nothing that doesn't abide by the laws of the rest of the world that has our own thing going. And it's crazy how many of them resist the concept of me being able to go start my own thing by saying, yeah, but you're already in this community and like, this is where you are. And the excuses they make for me not being allowed to do that are, are pretty outrageous at times. And there you go. It's, I won't say you're close enough. I was about to say you're close enough, but not really, but the Clive and Bundy thing, um, you know, the dude had an armed standoff Mm. with the BLM and he was like, listen, my land rights to this Mm. area, predate your agency Mm. and he produced proof and they were like yeah but still we're gonna we're gonna block you anyways (laughs) you know killed his son yeah got drone footage of his son being murdered at a illegitimate traffic stop uh it's just crap and and, uh, you know when i was going through school for surveying uh, i mentioned the clive and bundy standoff in one of my classes and uh the guy was like contact me separately from this class. If you put a, if you put another post like that in this forum, you're kicked out of this class. And that was two days after I made a flat earth joke and uh, he told me <laughs> I was to be kicked out too. So. Ah, <laughs> oh, just a troublemaker, Steven. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Well, y'all, yeah. Let's Oh, go ahead, Zane. Yeah. I mean, I, I realized that some of what I just said may, might be construed by some to say that I don't think that, like libertarian activism is useful and that's very much not true i think it's very useful in kind of us consolidating where are the libertarians and how do we reach out to people that truly are libertarian but just didn't realize that there's an organized movement of them but it is sometimes very fashionable to make claims that oh many people are libertarian they just don't know it yet and i don't think that's true i think there are some people like that i don't think that there are as many as some libertarians say that there are because i think that a lot of people either think that it's good that some people should rule over others or they want to be the rulers or they like what the rulers are doing so they're okay with it Mm. 
Or, yeah. you know, uh, the, the, the neoconservatives of the day, you know, they find out you're, you're libertarian or minarchist or ANCAP or any of that. Yeah, I like freedom too, man. Uh, you know, as long as it's my kind, uh, you know, I'll get along with you as long as you're okay with, hey, let's go take out some of those people over there. Uh, you know, like their freedom is hiding under a rock in the desert. Um, <laughs> yeah, they sure do love their freedom to bomb Iraq. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which really, you know, if we were so concerned with human rights violations, why are we not in Eritrea right now? Mm. Okay. Which makes North Korea look like Puerto Rico. Yeah. It's just, we wanted to have somebody on who, who knew about, who knew more in depth about that whole situation. And uh, I haven't found anybody yet. Um, so hopefully we'll have somebody on in the next few episodes that can really dive into what's happening over there. Cause it's an abomination. <laughs> it's absolutely horrible and has been our entire lives. Yes. Yeah. You're hundred percent correct. Well, let's, uh, let's move away from government stuff and go into like conspiracies. Oh, hey. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> let's see. Smithsonian denies it to this day, yet they funded. A cave found in the Grand Canyon that predated Native Americans. In fact, it looked like it came from Egypt, and the Smithsonian denies it to this day, yet they funded the expedition. What? Yes. So 1908, this explorer, he wanted to go to the Grand Canyon to look for gold. He was going down one of the rivers and saw a mineral deposit about 2,000 feet up. Went up there, and he saw some bushes or whatever and he pushed the bushes aside and it was a staircase that led up to a clearly a man-made cave yeah he walked in there and immediately was like what am i looking at because it looked like there was hieroglyphics all on the walls and it was huge and so he like took some pictures and then went to the smithsonian is like can you fund me we'll get a team out there to see what this is so they went out there and it was basically an underground city it would have housed like fifty thousand people what the natives in that region they talked about how they weren't the first people on the land and that there was people actually before them those people were taught by the star people how to make nice. weapons how to do nice. all this 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 he said the technology far surpassed what native americans had yeah like they had like actual like weaponry swords all this stuff mm -hmm. there's this whole theory that the mainstream archaeology the smithsonian they cover up stories like this because it goes against the narrative that they've been teaching since being founded it's being covered up by a big rock. <laughs> well, what do you think about that, Stephen? I mean, this seems right up your alley. Yeah, so I'm trying. I'm trying to figure out the exact uh, tribe, but this goes into uh, some of the Indian tribes that talk about stargates. I'm trying to remember. The, oh gosh, I knew. I knew I'm going to get it wrong. So, one is the Zunis. I think uh, they have. They actually have like a written record that goes back five six thousand years okay something crazy uh, i may be wrong on the tribe the zuni may be an animus tribe in africa uh but there's i mean there's around the grand canyon area you know in in, in north american southwest that's that they actually have tales of stargates of some of their tribal elders uh you know the sky opens up and then mm -hmm. they walk into a portal in the sky and they're just gone and, uh, you know, uh, the Bible kind of corroborates the stuff, you know, in Enoch, because Enoch didn't really die. He just uh, he boarded a chariot and flew off into the sky. Yeah. So um, it's it's really interesting. And that, so you're getting to the Graham Hancock kind of stuff like there's yeah. there's an entire 
ancestral lineage that's been fractured. There's there's um, a gap in the Goonies. <laughs> At the entrance of the cave, there was an elaborate Rube Goldberg machine. <laughs> Let's see. Yeah, it, I mean, it's super interesting. Like, I don't know, all the Graham Hancock stuff, like I watched his documentary series on, on Netflix and I've watched a bunch of his Rogan episodes. Um, the dude makes some compelling arguments for there being civilizations and then wiped out by meteors comet shower or something like that something there's just this gap of thousands yeah. of years yeah uh, and, and it was the zunis uh they they were they were the precursors to the hopis and then uh, later the pueblas um okay okay well did you know anything about this uh cave that they're talking about there I didn't know about this one specifically, but the, I, I did know that the, the Zunis uh, have written records, like I said, that go back, you know, five, six thousand years. And they talk about, yeah. you know, Stargate kind of stuff of, you know, their elders just kind of communicate with people that are not from this world. And mm. they just walk off into this portal and, and they're gone. All right. And and well, I, there, there's so many written. Re- there's um, what's this book? Uh, the Peacemaker and the Key of Life. Um it talks about, um, so there's a star, it's in the Pleiades formation called Tula. Uh, a lot of Indians have records of that. What, what are the ones around, um, what's the big, the Butte uh, thing in, in Wyoming? You know, it was oh, in, uh, in Devil's Tower. Thank you. Thank you. It was in that Steven Spielberg movie, uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Indian tribe around that area, uh, they they have a record of, just saying that, you know, their tribal elders were communicating with people off planet. And then one, all of a sudden they went to this star called Tula is what they called it. Mm. You know, they attained a certain level of enlightenment and then they just kind of teleported off planet. But you go back to, you use Kepler's model and you go back to the time that they have this written record and humans didn't have the capability to even see this star in that time period, but they have a map of it drawn. So how did that happen? Man, all that is fascinating. Let's get to the conspiracy part of this. The Smithsonian covering it up. Um, oh, we uh, we know that's been happening. So you got the Lovelock Caves. That was one I saw in Joe Rogan. Uh, if we're going to do a throwback here. Uh, I mean, they've been doing it since they existed. That's what they do. You find credible stuff. They come in. They take all the actual evidence. Mm-hmm. And then they take control of the narrative. I mean, they did that literally in the Graham Hancock series. Like the, the, they wouldn't let him go into Serpent Mound in Ohio because yeah. he was Graham Hancock. Yeah. Like that, that's what drives me most crazy because the guy who owns it owns that land as a Christian. And he says it like it's like um, anti Christianity, basically, to think otherwise. Think, you know, think that there was a civilization more than 5,000 years ago. Um, and th- that's what drives me nuts about people who shut down arguments is like, if your argument is, if you actually believe in your argument and you believe that it's strong and you believe that it is the truth, you should be able to back that thing up hundred percent and not allowing any dissent is like just essentially a dictatorship. Like you're just shutting down any any arguments whatsoever and you're refusing to grow as right now now getting into that kind of stuff too you know the the kind of prehistoric i guess as we're told you know through government schools 
um, all these civilizations that existed. So you got the uh, the Piri Reese maps. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there was an explorer, Piri Reese, that you know he it was his job to map what is Antarctica, and he's got maps drawing Antarctica as Greenland with. And he's got journals detailing this stuff. Humans, 12 to 14 feet tall. <laughs> you know, more than twice the size of the average man at the time was, was how he described it. And well, there's even um, there's even sketches drawn of uh, people jabbing a rapier into one of these guys' skulls, which rapier was, I think, was a little over two and a half feet long. Uh, you're jamming it into the guy's eyeball, and it doesn't reach the back of his skull. Jeez. So they're they're that big. Well, speaking of that, let's go into a deeper conspiracy theory, <laughs> a more a more a more sketchy one, uh, one that is less believable. But as soon as you said giants, it literally led into this one. So here we go. All right. And Andrew was a normal TikToker until he discovered a giant-looking creature in the mountains. The figure looked abnormally large, so he posted it on TikTok and wanted to keep investigating what it was. However, on his way to the mountain, he was allegedly stopped by a CIA agent who made him turn around even though it was a public road. Principles, turn around. Really? He tried again the very next day, but on his way, he saw helicopters extracting something from the very location he spotted the giant. Andrew began growing extra suspicious and decided to go look at night where he hopefully wouldn't be spotted. And again, the same CIA agent was waiting for him and told him to turn back once more. By the time that Andrew posted his next video, things would never be the same. He noticed that the CIA agent in the same car was parked outside of his house and had began stalking him. And then when he goes to confront them, they speed off, which is promptly followed by a confession from Andrew where he admits all of the videos of the giant are fake and he orchestrated the whole thing for attention. All the videos that I posted were scripted, they're just fake. This video came as a shock to viewers, and eerily, he's seen glancing at someone off screen as if he's reading a script. Andrew then posts an eight second video saying he'll never see me again and hasn't posted on his account since. It's been over one year. I just Obviously. took a vacation in Cherry Log, Georgia, okay. uh, which is home to the Sasquatch Museum. Nice. Uh, yeah. So nice. Uh, Obviously, that's a less credible video. I mean, yeah. anything that has like that quick of cuts and like does all that information without actually giving you any proof of anything is suspect. But the th- the talk of giants led me right to that. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, there, there you go. There you go. But I was getting into the Perry Reese maps because this was, what was it, 2016, 2017, something like that. Mm-hmm. You had the Pope, John Kerry, all these you know world leaders going to Antarctica. For some reason, like why? Why would you go to Antarctica? It was really weird. And then, um, what are they? It's like the southern tip of Argentina, I guess. They shove off of to go to Antarctica. Yeah. So they they should have already been you know a hundred miles south of there, where it's already should be pretty cold. And mm-hmm. these guys are posting Instagram videos. Uh, they're in shorts and short sleeves on the boat. But just they're really out. tough. They're tough guys. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, no. If if you're tough, man, you can handle negative 30 in shorts and a t shirt. I'm not going full operation. It's negative 30 in here right now. Like, that's how tough I am. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going full operation high jump on you, but I'm I'm just saying, like, it was was really weird because where that boat should have been latitudinally. Yeah. they should not have been able to just stand out on the boat in shorts and short sleeves and just hang out. Hmm. I'll say in, in 
as part of this uh, all, all of this conspiracy talk is that it's sometimes easy to come up with evidence for things that don't turn out to be true and right. when we think about when we think about how do we try to come up with the truth you know both sides or however many claims there are all present their evidence and so i'm probably especially after the past three years i am probably more open-minded towards people that would be considered conspiracy theorists than most people but that doesn't that doesn't negate the need for to, to hear the, the opposite side, which is what's the evidence that, you know, there is no conspiracy and it is how we've thought that it has been. Um, and, and, and the thing is that for a lot of these conspiracy theories, nobody spends their day like really trying to debunk all these conspiracy theories. I mean, I'm sure there are some losers online that do, but nobody cares about them. So all, all of these kind of conspiracist TikTokers and podcasters can kind of say whatever they want and produce pieces of evidence that aren't necessarily false but they use the pieces of evidence that you know that could have been they they it's not like they have slam dunks they have all these circumstantial right. evidence and, and things that you know you for one for one reason or another could have been it could have been that way without the entire theory being true and nobody's going to come along and say well actually i have these seven pieces of evidence that say that your conspiracy theory is total crap because nobody's going to spend <laughs> that kind of time debunking it. I so, can't tell you how many documentaries I've watched on the Ark of the Covenant is here. Right. You know, here it is. And like their only proof is because the Ethiopians prepared their coffee a certain way on this mountain. <laughs> and when they went there, there was three seven-year-olds with AK-47s that asked them why they were there. And they were like, obviously they're guarding something. Well, yeah, they're guarding the ark with. Oh, well, they're guarding their properties and children. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> they haven't seen a white person their whole life. Why are you here? Leave it to Zane to ruin conspiracy theory. Alex. Yeah, I know. I should just <laughs> stop saying anything. I just feel. I just want to clarify that being a libertarian does not make you have to be conspiracy theorist. There is nothing inherently wrong with being a conspiracy theorist as long as you don't project a, uh, a, an amount of confidence that's way out of proportion with the strengths of the evidence that you actually have. But being able to discern truth counter to the approved government narrative will have you labeled as a conspiracy theorist. That's also true. So if, if CNN calls you a conspiracy theorist, I don't care. What I care about is if I think that you're being a conspiracy theorist with, with no good evidence like I, I i've said stuff on this show that's got us kicked off youtube so i feel like i'm i i can kind of present some friendly criticism coming from a place that not not coming from a place of we just need to be respectable all the time and only say the approved narratives because obviously i don't believe that but doing some friendly ombudsing of some other libertarians i sometimes feel like are taking it places where it doesn't need to go yeah. yeah, there That's you go. Fair. That's fair. Yeah, and like, I don't know. It's just, it, it becomes easier and easier to believe in conspiracies when so many get proven true so quickly in three years. <laughs> like, uh, that's, it, it makes it more fun to entertain them. Um, and like, I definitely, everything that we just talked about, I don't know what's true or not. Like, 
it's just interesting to entertain a different reality than what we've been told our entire lives. And so I, that's why I enjoy doing it. I'm not saying there's any truth in it. I'm saying, yeah, I mean, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 you're all good. Go. Yeah. Well, I mean, all the so-called conspiracies of the past three years, whether it be, you know, all the COVID stuff or all the Ukraine stuff, like the reason why, I believe it is because I've seen all of the evidence that says why the establishment narrative is a complete lie. And it's nothing but peer-reviewed literature and logic and sources from, you know, trustworthy journalists. And so, and, and all of that is actually running counter to what the establishment, you know, what CNN and MSNBC are all saying. Absolutely. Just, and that's why, that's why trust the science became the mantra. Because it's, oh, it's peer-reviewed. Oh, it's peer-reviewed. Well, it's scientifically tested. You know, when do we get away from the scientific model? When do, you, when do we get away from, you know, forming a hypothesis, establishing your variables, running it through a test, and analyzing it, and everyone doing that that is, is qualified in that field, when did that go away? And, and it just became, oh, well, this university said it. So I'm going to read their data and just say, obviously, you're going to come up with the same conclusion. If you read their data sets, you need to do your own data sets. Obviously, you need to run your own experiments with the same variables to see if you come up with the same data sets. That is true peer reviewed stuff running it through the scientific method. But instead, it's everyone's just in lockstep because that's how you get funding. Right. That's that's exactly right. Like when you know, we were going through COVID. I mean, there were so many trustworthy scientific sources that were saying, you know, this, all these lockdowns are total BS. They don't do anything, but that wasn't the approved science. It wasn't the approved evidence. So you weren't allowed to talk about it, even though it was completely legit. When I see somebody with dreadlocks going on about how there's a stargate at the bottom of a Canyon, <laughs> I, I mean, maybe it's true, but I'm not, I, it feels not very trustworthy. And until I actually looked into it myself to see what the counter arguments would be, which granted, I'm not going to do because I don't care. But I'm not <laughs> oh, come on, to, Zane, let's do some DMT about it, man. I, I'm not going to accept that as evidence because it doesn't meet my threshold. <laughs> yeah, fair, fair enough. Fair enough, man. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, let's see. All right, we're we're into the uh, just the funny clips from here on out. Just just like six funny things. Um, the first one's from Spike Cohen. Um, it's our favorite vice president of all time, speaking about AI. And I think the first part of this issue that should be articulated is AI is kind of a fancy thing. It's first of all, it's two letters. It means <laughs> artificial intelligence, but ultimately, what it is is it's about machine learning. And so the machine is taught. And part of the issue here is what information is going into the machine that will then determine, and, and we can predict then if we think about what machine, what information is going in, what then will be produced in terms of decisions and opinions um, that may be made through that process. And I think the first part of <laughs> She's our vice president. I mean, she's our vice president. Okay. I'm going to send you a clip, Jake. If you could play it, that would be great. 
This reminds <laughs> me her uh, our our vice president's speech there reminded me a lot of um, something that Narendra Modi, the prime minister of India, said at some AI conference a couple of years ago. Okay. All right. Let's see what he's got. It's 18 minutes. Wait. Okay. Let me find a different one. Because yeah. there's. Yeah. Find the other one. Find the short one. Uh, I'm going back to uh, Tim Leslie's comment earlier. You know, Nephilim. No, no. The Giants are actually the Rephaim. Rephaim. Yeah. They were the, they were, you know, the Genesis 6. Um, you know, the sons of God saw the daughters of men. You know, that whole thing. <laughs> Yeah. That's how the giants came about. Interesting. The sons of God being the fallen angels. Huh. All yeah. right. All right. Try that one. All right. Let me pull it up here. Copy link address. Yeah, 16 seconds. That's much better. Here we go. Let me get there. Big data. Machine learning, blockchain, artificial intelligence, digital manufacturing, big data analysis, quantum communication, and internet of things. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> <laughs> Said nothing of substance that entire time. Modi's yeah. a G. Uh, you know, he, he's got some pretty brutal practices. Uh, but, uh, you know, as far as standing up for his people, that man is fantastic. Well, this, uh, this made me laugh. I don't know who shared it in the chat, but, uh, a gigantic fart derailed (laughs) RFK Jr.'s New York City press dinner. (laughs) If y'all haven't read this story, you got to go read it because that face had to have been exactly what he was feeling. (laughs) Oh man. And it wasn't his fart. It was somebody else's fart. (laughs) Yeah. Two guys start arguing at his press dinner. And then the argument they get in, one of the guys, as part of his rebuttal, farts on the other dude. Or farts (laughs) at him anyways. And I I laughed so hard I farted the first time I read this. (laughs) It's so funny. It's such a good read. And it's like 10 second read. Like you could read it in like two minutes. Um, Yeah. Absolute hilarity. The fact, I mean, I'm so glad that wasn't like, I don't know. Is it on camera? There was no camera. Like, there's no. Not that I know of. Yeah, that would have been hilarious. Man. All right. Next up is just a tweet. True story. Harvard Business School rejected me in '91. When I got the news, I checked to see if they'd cashed my $100 application fee check. They hadn't. So I did a stop payment. When they called trying to collect, I suggested they could learn a business lesson from this. I love uh, that. I am so glad the Supreme Court told Harvard, Yale, and Stanford they have to stop the Asian hate. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying this guy's Asian specifically, but um, I mean that's that's really what it was. Uh, it was there was there were Asian people that were coming in with perfect GPAs that yeah. are technically minorities that were being turned down from Harvard, Yale, Stanford, you know, places like that. Uh, that because they didn't meet their minority quota. Yep. And, and so then these guys are like, bro, I, I am one. What are you talking about? Yep. Oh, it's yeah. crazy. I'm so glad affirmative action is done. Affirmative action is what I mean, kept me out of the school of my choice. Um, now, if we can just that. get it out of out of the employer, uh, you know, that's, oh, man, because what, what was it? United Airlines 
said that they're going to start hiring minorities. Uh, they're, they're making an effort to have yes, you know, more, more minority pilots. And yep. it was like, you know, in that statement, like you said, nothing about qualifications, <laughs> you know, so, uh, you know, like that, that makes me feel good hearing that. Sure. But like, have they, have they flown enough? Do they meet the, the required hours? Do yep. they have the, cert- the, the certificate saying that they've done this stuff? Right. hundred percent. All right. Next yeah. up is, you, Oh wait, you only it. get to be a minority if you're not doing well. Because it has to fit into their, you know, Marxist class analysis on the basis of race, where they'll lump you into the oppressed class if it's politically convenient for them. But then if you happen to be a minority, but you're succeeding, then that just means that you're part of the white supremacist uh, society. So you just, what's even funnier is when they have it both ways with the same ethnic group. Like when (laughs) out out of one side of their mouth, they say hashtag stop Asian hate. But then out of the other side, they're like, but you can't go to Harvard. <laughs> yeah, you've got, a, you've got a perfect GPA. You know, you've already got, you know, five licensed attorneys vouching for you. Uh, but we're not going to let you in, even though you're totally self-funded. Yep. Yep. <laughs> it's wild. All right. Next and, and then, a- you know, and then oh, if we're all okay. citizens of the world, you know, on a global scale, whites are the minority. True. So, you know. Can I call the, myself the, a minority from here on out? Sure. See how that goes. Okay. I definitely won't get <laughs> tons and tons of hate. <laughs> right. Do y'all want a terrifying glimpse into our future? No. Yes. There we go. This device lets a plant control a machete by utilizing electrical noises in its leaves. <laughs> oh, I've seen that. Yes, that's what. So, you know, when you cut grass and that smell afterward? Yeah. Okay. So that's that's a distress signal. Like your lawn is screaming in pain, basically, and it's calling. Oh, that smells so good, though. That's right, great. exactly. You know, napalm has a certain smell to it, uh, or whatever they said in Apocalypse Now. Uh, <laughs> let the smell of, of of napalm in the morning. There we go. Uh, but the you know the, the smell of fresh cut grass is 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 a um, a defense mechanism that your grass has that calls insects and other things in there to protect it and help it propagate again. So what you're saying is that this plant having a machete is actually it exercising self-ownership and uh, defending <laughs> itself. There we go. Seems and, like it. And, and I would call attention again to uh, the tree that owns itself near Athens, Georgia. The tree that owns itself. That was a great one. But we should arm it with machetes. <laughs> or or we've right. got the, uh, the, the live oak in Thomasville, Georgia. Uh, this thing's... I think a couple hundred years old. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's a huge tree. Just put machetes uh, yeah, let's, on all let's arm that thing girls. with machetes. Yeah, I'm I'm a huge fan of this. This sounds like a great idea. Um, all right, here's one from uh, Libertarian Party official. Let me uh, refresh. This oh, one. I saw this one. This one's good. Scotland, Albania, Ireland, Russia, Oman, <laughs> Bulgaria, Saudi Arabia, Hungary, Cyprus, Iraq, and Iran. There's Syria, Lebanon, Israel, Jordan, both Yemen, Kuwait, and Bahrain. The Netherlands, Luxembourg, Belgium, and Portugal, France, England, Denmark, and Spain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the tag is kid. Where do taxes go? Libertarian parent. All of those places. <laughs> I, I've also seen it um, at list all the countries where communism does not work. <laughs> that's a good one too uh, that's a good one too yeah um, i've got two more and they're just 
dumb funny ones. So let's go. These are uh, facts that hurt your brain. Facts that hurt your brain. Two people born in separate time zones can be born at the same moment but have different birthdays. Beef jerky is basically a meat razor. When you clean out your vacuum cleaner, you become a vacuum cleaner. If I punch myself in the face and it hurts, does that make me weak or strong? Your stomach thinks all potatoes are mashed. If people on a planet 65 million light years away looked at Earth, they would see dinosaurs. Why do people say tuna fish when they don't say beef mammals or chicken bird? <laughs> do not operate heavy machinery. They're probably referring to cars. But my mind always goes straight to a forklift. And finally, whenever you buy and eat a half chicken, you're secretly sharing a meal with a stranger. <laughs> oh, man. That's, that reminds me of, a, there, there was a meme that I saw that had a, a Subaru Outback in the parking lot of an Outback Steakhouse. And it was like an Outback parked Outback at an Outback. <laughs> That's good. That's or, or the uh, the tow truck towing a tow truck towing a tow truck. I've actually seen that going down the interstate, and I'm like, nice. damn, someone's having a bad day. Yeah, I loved I loved the one that was uh, the well, now I just forgot it. Which one was I laughing at? Oh, the chicken bird or the beef mammal? <laughs> we yes, it, we call I'm it tuna fish. That from now on. Yeah, like why do we call it tuna fish? That makes no sense. Just call it tuna. I I don't understand. But now I'm going to call everything beef mammal which is way funnier. Um, and then I don't know if any of y'all have watched, I think you should leave. It's on, it's on Netflix. It's basically a show, a sketch comedy show that is put on by a, one of the most awkwardly hilarious people I've ever seen in my life, but they, he's been in a bunch of memes recently and this is uh, pets on the 4th of July. <laughs> I'm not seeing anything either. <laughs> You've never seen this guy? I don't see it. You're not sharing anything. Damn it. Like, I don't see your screen. That's annoying. Show, show, show. Okay, there we go. Good night, Grumpy. There we go. There we go. That killed me. That's real. That lives with us on Earth. <laughs> what the fuck is this world? What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? That's gonna kill me. That's real. That lives with <laughs> Oh man, that one is so funny. He had another funny one. Let me see if I can find it real quick because it is absolutely hysterical. I don't think I'm gonna be able to find it. That's all right. Hilarious. Um, yeah, if you haven't watched, I think you should leave. That is a show that I would recommend, um, especially if you've been drinking or are high because it is hysterical. <laughs> um, well y'all that wraps it up for liberty libations number 33 don't forget that joe rogan just spreads misinformation constantly but it's only about economics everything else he says is, is pretty all right um actually well, not everything. and owen benjamin has taught, taught us that uh his name is really toe rogan because he looks like a big toe he does look like a big toe <laughs> as as is uh displayed on our <laughs> thumbnail for this episode <laughs> <laughs> all right y'all well uh if you have any questions about the libertarian party of georgia if you ever want to come on this show um you can email me at podcast.lpgeorgia.com i check that almost never so good luck um you can also just tweet at me 
um, at the Jake Green or Peaceful Sea Productions. Um, yeah, if you have suggestions for stuff you want us to, to talk about, um, feel free. Send them our way. Yeah, do we have anything we need to promote, Stephen? Zane? Um, not off the top of my head. I'll just you know, LP Georgia. I mean, we got the you know the Brush Fire speaking group. It's really good. I did I did a few of them last year, and mm-hmm. uh, they did me no help in trivia. But um, I do feel more <laughs> confident speaking in groups. And Perfect. then Osprey Shooting Solutions. Uh, this guy is amazing. From yes. what I hear, uh, I, I've met him in person. I've never shot with him, um, but I, he I, was I a great he's, he's a good dude. He's got he's got a lot of good energy surrounding him. So I, I can tell yes. he knows what he's talking about. He yes. really knows his stuff and will train you properly. Mm-hmm. Yep. The uh, Libertarian parties of Fulton and Cobb counties will be tabling at a gun show at Jim Miller Park in Marietta Saturday and Sunday. So if you're free and want to come say hi, please stop by. If you're free and want to watch Zane buy his second gun, um, go by the gun show. Yeah, hey, get you, get you a Ruger 5.7. Those things are sweet. It's a you know, pistol that shoots 5.7 millimeter rifle rounds. Oh, my goodness. Wow. It is my favorite pistol by far. Not the Chiapa Rhino? I love the Chiapa, but the, the, the 5.7 is just so sweet. You know, Alden was out here this past week, and we, we shot a bunch. It was great. We shot a 100-year-old 22 that he had. It's a old pump octagon 22. I've got a hundred year old. I think it's a 30, 30. Nice. I'm scared to even shoot it. It, This thing wouldn't load the ammo properly from the cartridge um, because the ammo is made slightly differently than it used to be. And so we had to literally physically insert each bullet every single time into the, into the tube. Wow. It was it was interesting to say the least, but he shot my forty five seventy, which he said uh, he overbraced for it, so he you know got a little bruise on his shoulder. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, but there we go. All right, y'all. Thank y'all for tuning in. Um, we got Free Georgia podcast hopefully coming out uh, this Tuesday. I've not found a guest for it yet, um, so if y'all have suggestions, uh, shoot me a tweet, shoot me an email, whatever. Um, And then Liberty Libations again next Thursday night. We'll, uh, gummit. I normally have it all lined up, ready to click, and I didn't have it this time. We'll see you next week, folks. (laughs) Peace. (laughs)